The work of the Human Restoration Project would not be possible without the generous support of our Patreon backers, two of which are Trevor Christian and Katie Halford. Thank you for your support, and I hope you enjoy this session of reteaching. So today is a double header featuring the first two articles I ever wrote for the Human Restoration Project back in 2018. My pragmatic journey to voice and choice in the classroom provides the introduction and context, while cutting content to make room for learning gives the practical details. The ideas presented here have been foundational to the trajectory of my subsequent work in the classroom and my relationship to the HRP community, so I'm proud to bring them to you on this platform. You can also find these articles on our website, on our Medium page, and by using the links in our show notes. My Pragmatic Journey to Voice and Choice in the Classroom I thought I was doing everything right. I had prided myself on unpacking standards, planning, engaging, performative lessons, and units that were well-paced and tech-savvy, putting together complicated, ambitious projects, and writing prompts with standards-referenced, multiple-tiered rubrics and criteria for students to meet or exceed. Yet my journey to student voice and choice in the classroom was born out of an intense frustration that what I and my co-teacher were spending hours planning and daily troubleshooting just wasn't having the impact we were intending. Students frustrated with technology, bored with the topic, or just not feeling like learning about the Reformation for three weeks would act out, speak out, lash out, just anything to get away from a classroom that now so obviously demanded that students care and learn about and think important what I, an adult with a history degree and a shelf full of history books, cared and found important and demanded they learn about. But they didn't care and didn't think it was important and they weren't learning which is kind of the point of teaching. And by October, I went home almost every night wondering if I was going to be a casualty of fifth-year teacher burnout. So out of that frustration, I did what every tired parent has done in a moment of exhaustion and said, fine, what do you want to do? And it turned out to be the most important decision of my teaching career. It turns out that if you let them, students will partner with their peers to research, create, and send a presentation to the school board about Eurocentrism in our history curriculum and fume over the board's complacent response. Students will interview a local funeral director and present to the class a history of American attitudes towards death, dying, and an overview of the science of embalming and preservation, if you let them. That same student later presented on existentialism in Jean-Paul Sartre and read from nausea in French and English so we could hear it in the original language. Students will teach a lesson to their peers about the technological advances of the Roaring Twenties, complete with a pre- and post-quiz kahoot to demonstrate their classmates' learning, if you let them. Students will blog openly about controversial and deeply personal topics, post their work to an online audience, and solicit feedback from friends and strangers alike, if you let them. What do you want to do was followed by how are you going to do it, and with whom, which was then followed by for whom, what will the impact be, what tools or resources will you need, and how will you know when you've gotten there? This kind of problem-solving questioning is how I learned to make molasses cookies in the same line of questioning that put human beings on the moon. Too often, student voice and choice is singled out as an idealistic pedagogy, but it turns out that this simple set of questions can be used as a lens to look at almost any issue, topic, or problem imaginable. And with that set of questions came the simple but powerful permission to imagine. So how did I grade all this? Well, I didn't really. I didn't need to, and I couldn't let grading and evaluating and points and what was exceeding versus meeting and not quite there yet interfere with deep, meaningful student learning because it didn't matter what the rubric said 
or what the levels were. Students were more motivated to learn, were more engaged in their learning, and sharing in their learning together in a way that hadn't existed in my classroom before. I went from becoming a micromanager of student behaviors directed at teacher-focused outcomes, dreading each class period and waiting to see how these students could screw up my lesson plan, to a learning partner, sharing in the joy of learning with students, talking openly with them about their learning with no evaluative agenda, and learning alongside and from them as a result. I did less, students did and learned more, we were happier and had a healthier classroom culture. Cutting content to make room for learning. Turning over part of my world history classroom to students caused me to reinterpret my pedagogical approach to classroom teaching and resuscitated my career in the process. This approach for my sophomores demanded agency and authentic teacher-student partnerships, and it minimized required content and the co-requisite grading regimen. I never knew school could actually be like this. When I wrote this back in August 2018, I was in the process of planning for a schedule that had me teaching five sections of senior-level economics. I felt an enormous amount of pressure. These were the very same students whose creativity I was reflecting on in My Pragmatic Journey. And this is one of the last required classes in the social sciences these students would be taking before graduation, maybe the only economics class they would ever take. But writing My Pragmatic Journey wasn't just an exercise. It served as a clarification of my values and my role as a teacher. It also reframed for me the purpose of education, and frankly, it defined my newest challenge. What does an economics course look like that engages in good faith with a pedagogy that honors student agency and voice while balancing the adult desire and my obligations through the curriculum to cultivate some level of economic and financial literacy? For all the talk about what education could or should look like, here's what students in my classroom are actually doing. If my pragmatic journey described why I decided to embrace student voice and choice, the goal of this article is to describe how I used and am using a project-based learning, PBL, lens to cut content and make room for learning. This has been a semester-long process, and though the work is not done, we've done a lot, and it has been, like all real learning, an iterative and messy process. So just after some introductory activities about scarcity, automation, and the future of work, but before we got to anything to do with curriculum, gradebook categories, purpose statements, or standard rubrics, I thought I would take the risk and just ask students what they wanted to know. What about our community, our state, or the world would you want to connect to or know more about? Here's a sample of what they told me. I would connect with the young kids in our community because they will be the ones to take over when we are done. How money works, taxes, loans, income, also how the government got so far in debt. How to live a simple and easy life. Learning about nonprofit organizations and how they work. How to live after college. Filing taxes, how to live as an adult after college, and how to find out what you want to go into career-wise. I would want to connect to nature. How entrepreneurs find the money to start their business. How growing the town works and where to put stuff and when. How the laws in our community affect our economy. Insurance, and why it can be helpful yet so dumb. This was the initial spark before a more formal brainstorming process that followed established PBL practices, drawing from conversations with my instructional coaches and materials from the Buck Institute. 
The first step before students began their semester-long economic engagement project was a research agreement in a conference with me that had one unique demand, an explicit community connection. What part of our local, state, national, or global community are you going to connect to in the course of your research? What contacts are you going to make in the process of putting together a product? What network are you going to need to rely on to achieve your goal? In an age of silos, both virtual and real life, so much of what happens in school is not just done in isolation from other students and disciplines, but done in isolation from the rest of the community. This economic engagement project is part of what I would like to see as a model of education that is in and of the world, rather than preparation for it. So it's important to communicate to students how we are going to use the time we have together as an opportunity to think and grow and learn collectively from and for each other. I see the purpose of PBL work not as an exciting vehicle for content in lieu of an exam, but as a way to grow community engagement, to reach outside of our silo and make at least one meaningful connection to something outside the walls of school. After all, our students are going to spend a lot more time outside of this place than inside it. My role as teacher has also necessarily shifted as I've spent hundreds of minutes of class time partnering with students to unpack personal networks, find industry contacts, write phone interview scripts, follow up with emails ignored by elected officials, interpret student-collected data, and troubleshoot the dead ends which conspire to stop the process. Now, 12 weeks into the semester, after dozens of informal conferences, formal work reports, written scripts for phone calls and email interviews, and data gathered from their peers, adults, and community members through Google Forms, here's what some students are up to. A student with a rare blood type is passionate about a recent sales tax put on blood donations and is working to gather information from legislators and experts to advocate for its repeal. Iowans for a Greener Death is an advocacy awareness group started by a student wanting to change norms, practices, and laws around death and dying in America, starting in his home state. A day in the life of a physical therapist is an exploration of the requirements and experience of the practice of physical therapy. This student wants to go into the field and interviewed a local PT for her project. The impact of urban-suburban development on the environment. After a bout of extreme summer weather, this group is talking to city officials and planners about the impact of and interaction between suburban growth and a changing climate. Organic honey. What's the buzz about? This student is passionate about the issue of colony collapse and sustainable beekeeping practices. She has interviewed a local organic honey farmer about their practices and plans on teaching the class about her findings, with free samples. What would be the economic and social impact of only using renewable resources? This student has contacted state renewable energy associations and groups, and she is going to use her experience in graphic design to create a poster series highlighting our state's renewable energy future. One pair of students working to understand food manufacturing and processing walked away with a lesson in clarity, as they were told firmly by a contact at General Mills that, no, they can't have the recipe for Lucky Charms. Some of these products in progress are class presentations to peers, a conference model that doesn't look dissimilar to how professional research is shared in the real world. Others are physical products, while others still are created and shared digitally websites, blogs, etc. However they connect their product to their audience, they will also be soliciting some feedback from their audience to gauge how and whether they were able to meet the goal and purpose of their project. Yes, some individuals and groups are writing research papers, but even these will go through a feedback process that involves teacher and peer review. 
As I finish writing this the day before Thanksgiving break, the first group is scheduled to present their findings to their research question, Is Student Loan Debt a Problem for College Students in America? These girls interviewed current and former college students to gather personal stories about the impact of student loan debt to supplement a broader research base about student loan debt both in Iowa and throughout the country. After they present their research and peers give feedback on their work, I'll sit down with them one last time to process how it went, whether or not they reached their goal, and what could have gone better. Now, there isn't a grading scale or a standard rubric for economic engagement. Economic engagement isn't optional in the adult world outside of school any more than civic engagement is. It's not even optional for most students at this point in their lives. They are voters, consumers, employees, debtors, and family and community members. Some even have kids of their own. We can't expect them to wait until after graduation, where the stakes are much higher, to begin to answer the questions they have now about how they are going to fit into the world. We can start by giving them time and non-evaluative adult support to explore these questions in a low-stakes present. The curriculum can wait. The students in front of you wanting to understand how to be adults now can't. The Human Restoration Project is a nonprofit dedicated to informing and spreading progressive education through free educational programs, resources, and online materials for teachers, families, and students. You can learn more and follow us at humanrestorationproject.org or on Twitter at HumeResPro. Follow founder Chris McNutt at McNuttGISA and myself at CovingtonAHS. Be sure to add the hashtag RestoreHumanity. You can also leave us a message on Anchor by clicking the link in the show notes, and we hope to hear from you.